SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Welcome to the second hour of uh, the Talking Point here on SFM 104 to 107 Nationwide. Join the conversation whenever you want to on 86 2032 the SMS line 41391. That SMS would come to you at a rent 50. The WhatsApp line 0614104107. We are on X. We are at SFM Radio. Hashtag SFM Talking Point when you talk to us. We're shifting gear and talking the quality of education, the quality of the education system perpetuating the inequalities that we currently have. I told you that I spent the large part of the night reading um, an education research report um, and that education research report was commissioned by the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust and Tracy Webster, uh, the chief executive of the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust, uh, maintains that a seismic shift in the education system system is required to break the cycle of poverty and inequality in our country. One of the things that she highlights is that South Africa is well aware, actually, of the issues that persist in the education system and has the skills and the resources to address them. However, and that's a big however, she says it will require genuine collaboration between leaders in civil society, academia, philanthropy, the private sector, and government to ensure that Every person has access to quality education, quality being the operative word, at every phase of their journey. And this she revealed when uh, uh, the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust launched their education research project, oh, this word, uh, this education research project earlier this month. And Tracy Webster is my guest in the studio. As I said, she's the chief executive of the Oppenheimer uh, Memorial Trust. I think on the line, uh, on Zoom, we have Kay Walsh, Managing Director of Nova Economics. She wrote the part of the report that focuses on higher education. And in the studio, we also have Bailey Coda, who's Chief Operations Officer at the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust, the Higher Education Portfolio. Good morning, ladies. Thank you very much for braving Joburg traffic and uh, coming through to talk to us. Let's start at the beginning. I'm an interesting report, uh, at least the, the large part of it that I managed to read overnight. But I want to talk about, first of all, why you felt the need as the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust to even commission the report. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for hosting us. Uh, I joined the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust in the heart of COVID in 2020. And I think it was at a time where the sort of whole world was just pausing and taking time to reflect. At the same time, Mickey, Nikki and Mary Oppenheimer, who've collectively served on the board for 91 years, were retiring with the next generation of Oppenheimers um, at the helm. So it felt like the perfect time just to sit back and you know, analyze the past 20 years and the impact we had made. But Harry Oppenheimer has always said that your strategy needs to be relevant to the context of the day that you find yourself in. Mm -hmm. So that's when we decided to really, you know, analyze very deeply the current status of education in South Africa across early childhood development, basic education and higher education. And that's how Kay Welsh joined us. And we ran a two year initiative where we consulted absolutely every role player in the sector on this journey 
through interviews. We crunched every piece of data that is out there. Um, we had hackathons. We incorporated government, CBOs, NGOs, policymakers, um, you know, the, the public funding that is available, but potentially NGOs and CBOs don't know how to unlock that funding. Um, and, and what came out of that at the end of the day is this research report that really highlights all the challenges mm. in each phase of the journey. But at the same time, it, 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 it shows the opportunities and solutions that are actually out there that potentially just need to be scaled up. Um, and so the purpose was really for us to be able to identify what are the opportunities mm. that fit within our remit. Um, but this idea that other philanthropists, business, etc., can identify other opportunities and really get the job done. We, we can't lose another generation to poor education. Um, and it just has a major impact on our country as a whole. Yeah. Um, and we remain, you know, the country with the highest Gini coefficient in the world. Yeah. Sitting at 88.8. And if we don't fix education... For the rest of our lifetime, we will remain the most unequal and society yeah. in the world. So at what point in the journey, and, and, and I will uh, come to Bailey and uh, uh, Kay just now, at what point in the journey of uh, the uh, d- decision to even go so extensively into the research of the sector, do you, re- do you decide that it has to be holistic? Uh, because there's many pockets of research where uh, they will do um, early childhood development, they will do do higher education, they will do, you know, uh, you know, pockets, never cohesively. And why do you think that uh, the picture becomes clearer when uh, the research is done cohesively? We have to understand that, you know, education is a journey, mm. right from ECD through to basic education, even your foundation phase, mm. uh, your secondary school, and, and then into, you know, what, what happens after high school, universities or Tivert colleges. Mm. Um, and so what's happened and what became very apparent to us is that a lot of the learning losses start out at early childhood development. And if mm. you think about it, a grade art teacher receives children into the classroom and they're all at completely different levels. Yes. So how do you manage, A, you could be the best teacher in the world, 50 kids in a classroom that are at completely different levels. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, those losses persist um, through foundation phase and the polls results that came out this year state that only 81 percent, that 81% of our children cannot read for meaning irrespective of what language they were taught in Mm. by grade four Mm. so if you can't read for meaning it's very difficult to add on anything Mm. after your foundation phase Mm. um and that you can't comprehend much you can't Mm. and so how you know those learning losses continue Mm. our metric results reflect what's happening at that foundation phase Mm -hmm. um and the truth is that only you know six out of um 10 children um that enter school four out of ten uh, right metric, um, six out of ten pass right metric, four out of ten pass metric, one out of ten children enter university, and 0.5 pass a university after six years. Mm. And that's just all of these backlogs. Mm. Um, so you can't, you have to address and fix the problems at each phase of the education system. 
Yeah. So I'm going to go to a commercial break and then uh, when I come back, uh, have Kay and Bailey join the conversation. So then we hear the findings of uh, uh, the research and uh, the suggestions because uh, <laughs> it, it sounds to me when I read that, oh my God, there are so many sectors sectors that are going to have to uh, <clears throat> gather their thinking around to make sure that we get to the collective place that the research uh, suggests. I wonder whether their egos, all of them or each of them, uh, will allow for the for that collaboration to happen but i suppose where there's a will there's a way we're talking uh about a report called the education research report uh that was commissioned and um uh done for the oppenheimer memorial trust and we'll continue our conversation in a short while hashtag sfm talking point Welcome back. It's 10.22. We are talking, is the education, the quality of uh, our education uh, education system perpetuating inequality? I want to bring you in, Bailey. Good morning. Uh, thank you for your time. So let's get to the nitty gritty then uh, of uh, the approach, uh, the approach that was used uh, in the research process. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for having me. The approach. So I think Tracy touched on it a little bit earlier. It was extremely consultative. Mm -hmm. Um, We spoke to a lot of sector players. We hosted hackathons um, and that was really segmented. And we did a few for ECD. We did one for basic ed. We did one for higher education. Um, How long did each take? Oh, gosh, somewhere a few days. Um, ECD, we ran uh, one over two days and then a, a third one over one day. And that's when we brought in the youth into the room and I think and how was the sample chosen how did you choose the sample because one of the things mm. uh, Tracy says uh, you know he she highlights the issue of inequality uh, so for example if you sample a child who grows up in a suburban area uh, the results would probably be different to one who grows mm. up in a rural area or a, a township for mm. example so we, you know, we really tried to dissect the, the sector. So we brought people from government, we brought practitioners, we brought resource and training organizations, um, t- you know, to get that, that real um, cross-section of the sector. And interesting that you bring up rural versus urban versus peri-urban, and that's exactly how we um, uh, you approached know, it. Exactly, on the day. You said, you know, what does a child need in an urban environment? What does a child need in a rural environment? And what does a child need in a peri-urban environment? And try and look at solutions based on the context in which the child lives in. Yeah. You focused primarily on the higher education portfolio. Tell me what surprised you there in the findings and what, uh, you know, what, what, what were the general findings in that sector? So I think I should rather hand over to Kay, if you don't mind. She's the the higher education expert on this. Thank you. Kay, good morning. Morning, morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Kay, by the way, is Managing Director of the Nova Economics. You wrote the part of the report that focuses specifically on higher education. Tell me what you found. Um, So I think, yeah, following on from what Tracy and Bailey have said, what became very clear is that most of the problems that we face in higher education have their roots in a dysfunctional basic education system Mm. and even, uh, you know, an adequate preschool or early childhood development. Um, So, you know, all the problems that are created in this very unequal access to quality education at early childhood and primary school level end up at universities and so universities are burdened with a huge spending a huge amount of time and money trying to address challenges that are actually rooted in poor schooling 
Yeah. And and I asked the higher education part because uh, we are plagued by the problem of unemployment in uh, South Africa. Uh, and that uh, uh, that that problem persists particularly amongst young people in South Africa. And one of the things yeah. that, that, that the trust is saying it wants to do is help young people upskill, right, uh, as a result of some of the findings of this research. I want to bring uh, Tracy back to tell me why you wanted... Uh, you know, to focus also on the issue of upskilling and what that would look like. So where we are going to focus specifically around upskilling youth is that we saw that there's a huge HR uh, crisis in the ECD sector. So Mm -hmm. we need an additional 210,000 practitioners Mm -hmm. and an additional 200,000 additional workers in that sector. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you've got a youth employment crisis that's sitting at about 58%. Yeah. So we Which want... leads to a whole industry that can boom. Exactly. So yeah. we are saying, how can we transition and upskill young people uh, to participate in that sector to fill the HR deficit? And when we brought the youth into that hackathon, there are so many challenges within the ECD sector. Mm. But these young people saw opportunity. Mm. And so they were saying, actually, I could set up a small business to help centers register so that they can get the government subsidy. Mm. Um, so it's it, not just the teaching. It's not. There's a whole ecosystem which we really want to explore. Mm. I mean, the challenge is going to be how do we make these sustainable viable early learning program businesses Mm -hmm. as well as viable small businesses that can support that whole ecosystem Um, but we want to try and uh, there is public funding available to unlock this training so if you think of the social employment fund public works programs um, you know IDC is is, has got various different pots of funding there Mm. so I think if we can work collaboratively with government to unlock some of that funding so that young people can get the stipend while they are being upskilled in Mm. an ECD environment and then the other parts of funding um, around access to finance for small businesses to set up those businesses. So I think that's where we see this collaboration working. And and I want to uh, hone in on the collaborative part because it sounds like it all only ever works if there's a cohesive sort of collaboration. What is the appetite uh, since the release of the report? What has been the a- appetite from some of the sectors that I mentioned earlier that you said uh, when you were launching the report uh, would be crucial in uh, collaborating to make sure that uh, we redefine because ultimately uh, what you want to do is redefine the issue of poverty in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So I think where we see collaboration being critical is that there are a lot of um, NGOs or youth accelerators that really understand youth. There's Mm. the um, SA Youth Platform. So the organizations that really understand young people. And their issues. And their issues. We also, and, and how do we skill them up to be employable. We then also have another sector of NGOs that are the resource and training organizations Mm. that train up skilled quality teachers within the ECD sector. Um, And then we have public funding that's available and philanthropy. Mm. So we're saying, so a lot of the NGOs will say, we want to access that public funding, but they only give a small amount of allocated funding to our operations Mm -hmm. and our organization will fall over because you have to scale. So we're saying, what if we match government's funding for the administration Mm -hmm. so that we can responsibly help these NGOs go to scale 
um, and create those linkages between the youth accelerators and the training organizations. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, we all have to see our piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. and how do we put that puzzle together. So when you say you match government, you match rent for rent what government uh, is going to invest. On the administration side. On the administration side. Yeah, for side. that NGO because we work with, you know, we fund those NGOs. Mm -hmm. So we're saying we would actually, you know, if, if government's saying 20% of, of the budget allocation goes mm. to their operations, mm. we would match their operational funding so they can build the right M&E that can have the right team, the right resources to execute with excellence. Okay, you can call if you want to ask our guests a question. We're talking about uh, what they call the Education Research Report. It's an important report uh, because ultimately uh, it's a report that says uh, the only way really we can break the cycle of poverty and inequality in our country, one of the things that they're saying uh, uh, we need to do is to uh, make sure that the education system has the skills and the resources that they need uh, to address these inequalities and it requires collaboration between leaders in civil society academia philanthropy the private sector and government to ensure every person has access to quality education which is uh, part of what we'll also talk about the quality part at every phase by the way uh, and uh, we will continue our conversation uh, on the education research report with Tracy Webster uh, K Walsh and Bailey Coda after the news headlines. It's 10.31. Nomalizo Mandela is standing by. You are listening to KG Mwekezi on SAFM. Welcome back. It's 10.35 on SAFM. Is the quality of education system, of our education system, sorry, perpetuating inequality? We're talking to the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust. They commissioned a study called the Education Research Report. Perhaps I should also ask, which sectors do you uh, fund as the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust in education spe specifically? Do you fund currently higher ECD? Where are you? We're actually going to focus on the entire value chain. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to start off um, at ECD, mm -hmm. looking at how we can get youth to fulfill that HR um, shortfall mm -hmm. um, and to ensure that we can get universal access because only about 35% of children in South Africa are actually getting ECD access. Yeah. So we have to make sure there's universal access. So yeah. that's, that's one thing we're going to chase really hard. Okay. And we're going to ensure that there's quality so that all children that we reach are actually able um, to to have, you know, all of the cognitive thrive by five index um, that is required for a child to move to the next phase is in place. Yeah. And then basic education, we see that there's a huge opportunity in the fact that 50 percent of our teachers are retiring by 2030. So it could be a potential That's in seven years time could be a potential crisis. Mm -hmm. But actually, if we can train our teachers really, really well, young, dynamic, tech-enabled, with the right content knowledge and pedagogy that are exposed to the school system right from the get-go. So actually that they're embedded in an internship model mm. at the school with a teacher mentor while they're training online um, with other mentorship happening. Mm. Um, we think that there are going to be huge dividends from that model. Mm -hmm. And certainly in the UK, uh, about 40% of their teachers are trained um, in that model uh, because, you know, a lot of children come out of the system. They're not prepared for the environment, the school environment, which is quite dysfunctional. Yeah. And they leave. Yeah. So we've got to embed them into the school system and ensure that 
they are comfortable with the environment in which they they are going to be working in. So you're proposing the model of uh, interning for how long in terms of teaching? Because right now people come out of university straight into teaching, isn't it? Yes, and what we've uncovered is that the universities aren't preparing their students well. Mm. Um, A, from the content knowledge, and they're not doing enough practical um, and integrated uh, uh, work and learning. So they're not prepared for the classroom. Mm. Uh, They're not prepared for those dynamics. The school system is broken. They lack the confidence. Mm. There's no exit exam when they come out, and, and there's enough research to show that students that start um, that are scoring 50% on a maths paper in their year one at university in year four come out scoring 52%. Mm. So we are challenging the universities to really you know, interrogate what they are doing and to innovate their models. They have to get closer to the schools and embed those young people into the school system and to have hands-on practical training. That is what teaching is all about at the end of the day. One of the other things, uh, we're going to go to callers because there's some of our listeners who want to ask you questions. Kay, one of the other things that I found interesting when I was reading the report regards uh, TVET colleges, uh, you know, that uh, the the, the higher education system has too few school leavers that are attracted to technical or even vocational education and training careers uh, because the TVET colleges in general lack the capacity to properly prepare young people for a future in which they can earn a living. What was the problem there? Um, so, yeah, basically at the moment, um, the higher education and training system is leaving universities with a really disproportionate share of the responsibility for educating school leavers because it is the most functional part of the higher education and training system. Mm. So we have a number of TVET colleges but there are very few that are providing a quality and relevant education that will equip college leavers with skills that will enable them to gain employment. Mm. Um, and what we're seeing in TVET colleges on average is extremely low throughput rates. So you'll have um, very few of those who actually enroll in a TVET college program will actually graduate mm-hmm. and uh, within the sort of normal three to six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's 90% that actually don't complete their TVET qualification. And, um, Did you say 90%? Did I hear yeah, you correctly? 90, wow. Yeah. 90 will not complete within three to six years. Mm-hmm. Of the 10 that do, um, you know, only five, uh, half of those, five of them will be able to find employment. And so it's clearly the quality of TVET education, the way it's delivered, uh, leaves a lot of uh, room for improvement, and we really need to almost relook at how we as a country deliver this important layer of higher education. Wow. And we need to look to countries that are really successful at doing it, like Germany and Switzerland, mm-hmm. um, I think, and really rebuild some of these colleges and programs from scratch because they're currently not, they're very expensive and providing government with a very poor return on investment. In fact, some people have even refer to the system as delayed unemployment, Mm. Um, you know, so yeah, and that that again is putting a huge uh, burden on universities um, because students know, school leavers know that if they want a chance, a shot at employment, um, their best bet is probably to try and get a university education in the absence of good 
vocational training. Yeah. Okay. We've got some call. Um. Uh, some uh, some of our listeners wanting to join the conversation. Um. And I think uh, the first one wants to touch on a part we haven't even really dealt in. Uh, rural schools and basic education. Ma Mayenzege in East London. Uh, you want to talk about the part of basic education and support for rural schools. Good morning. Hello, this KG. This KG man. I'm so happy about these findings and these investigation they did about the quality and the inequality among the schools you know? so my interest is maybe what is their plan about those schools like which well, when you name the, the schools by name we don't know the kind of schools they are they rural okay. schools yeah the rural the rural schools yes mm-hmm. Because those schools, they put those old structures, they are not modernized, you see. No computers, <laughs> you see. And people, they are still, uh, the students, they are, mostly, but they are behind they, to get, so for them to get the better clear of what they are doing. They are getting during springs and winter schools, you see. And also, we, we, uh, I, I was there, and I was the student, I was on, it was even difficult for me to come, to, to speak English, with mm. that learn English to, to pass, you see, what is their plan mm. about those schools at rural areas? Instead of, because the thing is, instead of the, the infrastructure is developed, instead, now what is happening is the schools are vandalized and still, is still operating, students are passing, but few. Mm, okay. Do you want to listen to your response on the radio then? Because yes, I yes, think yes. I, I think he asked some very po- uh, poignant questions. Do you want to take it, Tracy? Yeah. Uh, so yes, we we see that the the opportunity is we we're not going to be looking at infrastructure. Mm. So let me let me say that, and I think that's something that sits squarely in government's um, responsibility mm-hmm. is on the infrastructure side. But our opportunity is to. Uh, skill up excellent teachers. So 50% of those teachers that are retiring, most of them are coming out of public schools. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the internship models that we are supporting actually are working in rural areas. One mainly sort of at this point in time, KZN and Pumalanga, um, there's some in Northwest, but um, it, it is those organizations that are identifying the schools where they can place that young teacher in and are training that teacher. What they're seeing is that when that young person is in, that is now tech-enabled, has got very interesting ways of getting their pedagogy and content knowledge across Mm. in an exciting way, other teachers in the school are asking them how they can learn from them. Mm. And I think it's about the quality of teaching. I think if you have even one teacher that is inspiring and, you know, just gets their message across, suddenly you take school seriously Mm. and you will go the extra mile. What is also happening simultaneously is that um, we're living in this world of tech and there's some excellent organizations that are really looking at how they scale up literacy and numeracy. Um, and and what they're doing is that they're setting up a room, um, a classroom full of computers. They're taking the children, you know, out of that classroom mm. um, one hour a week 
um, so that they can do self-led learning. They pull in all the infrastructure. They have a teacher assistant. Mm. And these young children are learning how to teach themselves literacy and numeracy. Yeah. And they can already see just by one hour a week that there's a 10 to 20% improvement in their results at that early grade um, literacy and numeracy. Yeah. So we want Tracy, to... Um, yes, okay. Sorry, if, if I can add, I think as, uh, as Tracy said, we not only need better quality teachers, I think government also has to look at backing different models of public schooling delivery. And one of them, as you say, is to look at alternative models where you can bring online blended learning to public schools. Mm, mm. And another is looking at affordable government subsidies for affordable private schools and charter type schools, Mm -hmm. because you're seeing very successful models of affordable private schools. They currently don't receive any government subsidy, Mm -hmm. such as the Spark, Spark schools who are for slightly more than the cost of government school education, delivering very good quality Mm -hmm. um, education for around 25,000 rand per year. But currently, if you are a student attending those schools, you don't receive any subsidy from government. So I think uh, Western Cape and Eastern Cape specifically have looked at charter schools Mm -hmm. um, as another model where they they, um, partner um, with private sector and projects like collaboration schools and partnership schools to deliver better quality, um, you know, public schooling. And I think, yeah, it's both the teacher, the quality of the teacher and having a supportive environment for those teachers. Um, It's really important. Okay. Uh, uh, Brian in Cape Town, you want to comment on uh, the content of education, the curriculum development part. Hi, Brian. Good day to you. Yes. Um, Yeah, look, to me, you know, it's... It doesn't matter how you reshuffle the educational system. Within a capitalist society, the education is designed to defend and promote the ideology of the ruling class. And that happens throughout the world. Um, You know, it is designed to retain the status quo, in other words, the capitalist system. Now, besides that, the history... The content of the history, as as an example in this country, has been criminally distorted by the ruling party. This history has been um, has, has been promoted by the ANC and it doesn't tell the truth. It has been horribly distorted. So uh, that is my major problem. Sorry, but uh, Brian, what all... is the truth? What is the truth? Quickly, if I can uh, get you to say that while we're on air, because I'm a bit confused, yeah? Yeah, look at the, the struggle. There wasn't only... Uh, uh, or mainly uh, conducted by the ANC. It, was, okay. uh, it, it was a very broad, it was a broad struggle with the National Forum, the Unity Movement. Got it, got it, got and, it. And, and a lot of these people that weren't part of the ANC at all, in fact, they were opposed to it, but they, that is projected to the public. It has been designed to distort the history, and that is what we've got to change. We've got to change the content of the education. You see, so... Um, Okay. That, uh, they were, there were bodies that were trying to or attempted to do it, but because of lack of funds, they weren't able to do, to complete. Okay. So that's the one thing. The one point. The other point, just quickly, is to I'd like to support an earlier caller when he said that people phone in, complain and complain, uh, but they keep on voting for the same people. So I want to support that guy, whoever he was. I think he was from the Eastern Cape. Okay. And last point, very quick point. 
Uh, I think we lost him. Uh, network. Okay. We lost you, Brian. Sorry, we couldn't hear your third point. I have to go to uh, a commercial break. I see you, Zig, in uh, Renberg. I see you, Sakela, in the Val. And I see you, Asia, in uh, Uppington. And I'll come back with all your calls in a short while. SAFM. Prime time all day long. Welcome back. We're talking about the education research report that was commissioned by the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust. I wanted, uh, before we go back to the calls, to ask uh, Bailey about if at all uh, there were any findings that come out uh, in the honors uh, education part. Thank you. I think, you know, it's just really important to focus on opportunity mm-hmm. um, and honors really is one of those opportunities that that we've certainly uncovered and it's it's a really underfunded level in, in, in a, a person's education journey it's not funded by NISFAS it's not funded by the NRF it's a one-year course that can just be life-changing for anyone mm-hmm. you know you can journey into academia you can journey into a better paying job and you know really for I think it's a call to philanthropy to private CSI uh, to really get behind this this one year of honor support, it's really exponential for what it can do for a for a young person. Fantastic, uh, Zig in Renberg. I hope you won't make us zigzag. Uh, you want to talk about uh, the focus on a on ECD early childhood development. Hi, Zig. Yes, that's exactly where education starts and where young minds can be stunted at. Uh, as a quarter of our country is stunted, I believe, and and they can be stunted uh, and 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 warped and perverted uh, uh, within the first three years, which determine your personality, and this is so vital. And can this be achieved in the insecurity of uh, no fathers and no families? and uh, uh, dysfunctional townships where you dare not put your head out of your shack uh, 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 for fear of, of having things happen to you. We, uh, it's going to be very hard to uplift the whole nation from that level, isn't it? I think um, it's it's one of the biggest opportunities. You know, Bill Gates says that the first five years of your life have so much to do with how the next 80 turn out. Um, and the Heckman's curve in our research report supports that the biggest return on investment comes if you invest in ECD. Um, currently, our government spend is only 1% to 2% of the education uh, budget that goes into ECD. And so we need to advocate for more funding to go into ECD. I believe that there are incredible people in townships, communities, rural areas that are committed um, to supporting young people, um, especially at ECD. Often it's the only meal they get a day. They're supervised, uh, especially through play-based and, and he is right in saying that this is the biggest opportunity, but we just need to get across the country and make sure we're equipping young people to set up their early learning programs. Um, and I actually disagree with them. There is a measurement called the ELAM measurement, um, and we really want to ensure that every child, by the time they go to grade R, um, is tested against that ELAM, and it, it actually tests all of those learning outcome markers. Um, and I, I think when early learning programs are executed properly, we see that outcome there, irrespective of where we support these early learning programs. Yeah. Okay, Sakele in the Val. Hi. Hi, 
Good morning, Sister Kiki. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You want to talk about the proposal for what we should do for uh, uh, the early childhood development as well. The thing is, uh, Sister Kiki, I have this uh, uh, product that I've just started producing because I've been hearing on the radio that early childhood development is a problem. Uh, little kids can't uh, spell and do all the things. So I've made this product and I've been all thinking that maybe I'm going to have to start to education of department and tell them about this what thing. Is the, what is do. the product, if you don't mind me asking, Sakele, without <laughs> giving away your uh, I, uh, yeah, intellectual is, property on the radio? Yeah, I wanted to describe it, but it's going to take long. But it's a, it's a this container of carrying a cold drink thing, the plastic one, I'm recycling it and I found the space that I can use to create this product. So I've been, I've been doing it, I've got maybe now close to 50. But now I was saying maybe if these guys can say, okay, give us the photo we want to see, or let's give us your contact, we want to see the thing. It, it, it's interesting. It's very nice because the kids can be able to read in the past without taking a book out. We read the, you write the, 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 the way that the child is suffering with on the thing, and the child will keep on practicing that way on the thing with a pencil and an eraser. You just erase without... without are you, are you on the socials? Perhaps they could check out your work on the socials. Are you on the socials? It's unfortunate I don't use WhatsApp. I just use calls, direct calls. But I can use it. I can try to find... If you give me a WhatsApp and then I can try someone who can send me the photos of these things so that they can okay. take a look at it. It has a potential of okay. creating jobs. Our WhatsApp man- line is 061 Zero six one four one zero zero. Okay, please. I'm gonna have to repeat. Zero six one four one zero. I'm gonna open the radio and I'm gonna listen on the radio. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Sakele. So, what happens uh, with this report now? Um, I think it is extremely important because uh, it's one thing to do such a cohesive report, uh, and uh, it's something else to have it uh, live its intended purpose. We launched it um, at a multi-stakeholder event um, a week ago, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the uh, feedback since then has been from philanthropy, from actually everyone, is just saying that they're really digging into it. And I think in particular philanthropy is saying, you know, where should we be spending our funding to mm-hmm. get the biggest bang for buck? Um, and I think what we're realizing as philanthropists is that we need to work more cohesively together mm-hmm. and we need to really unpack scale and how we can support scale and unlock the public sector funding. So we will be meeting in various different circles um, with the various different government ministries as well as the President's Youth Initiative to start looking at some of these solutions and what collaboration looks like. Mm-hmm. So I hope um, for anyone that is wanting to fund opportunities within the education sector read our report we've done all the homework mm. don't reinvent the wheel there's some clear solutions and opportunities that you can get behind at the same time I, I hope parents of young children read the report because parents need to be vocal around demanding excellence in education it's a it's a constitutional right mm-hmm. and I, I think parents really need to mobilize and demand excellence from their school teachers. Mm -hmm. It's not enough that teachers don't pitch sort of two or three days a week to the classroom. Mm. Um, And and teachers need to, you know, vote with their their feet as well. They need to find a party, which I found horrifying as these political parties aren't talking about what they're going to do with the education sector. Mm -hmm. You, You know, so I just think we need to be more proactive 
as a nation to demand excellence education across the value chain. And the report is accessible and available to everyone. Is it online? It's online on our website. Yeah. Um, and when if, when you reflect, because it took a long time clearly to do this report, right? 2020 was a while ago. Um, when uh, you reflect in five years, when you cast your mind's eye back in five years' time, you will say it was worth uh, the money you put into it and the paper you printed it on if what happens in, let's say, in five years' time. I think one of the immediate quick wins would be if we can... Um unlock uh, more fiscal uh, funding from the education budget to go towards early childhood development. I mm-hmm. can't just sit at 2%. Mm-hmm. That would make me really happy. I think if we can see young people that are setting up their own early learning programs in the ECD sector so we get universal access mm-hmm. and that they're sustainable businesses, I'd be super happy. If we can suddenly see a new cadre of teachers um, flooding the public um, school system that are young, dynamic, tech-enabled and are harnessing all the tech tools that will support them to be excellent teachers. Mm-hmm. I'd be super happy. And the higher education, please, philanthropy, get behind those honest students. It's an uh, unbelievable it's ROI. It's a worthy investment. A worthy investment. It's a quick win. You know, the students already got through the undergraduate you're backing and a win. horse. Um, and then we're launching a new Frontiers program. We are losing our mid-career researchers to the rest of the world. We've invested in them, but there's no funding for them. And so we've launched a new Frontiers program where we're supporting mid-career um, researchers for five years, giving them a lot of money to set up centers of, of excellence and to have blue sky thinking. And we're hoping to build a partnership down the line with NRF um, that once they can spin out into centers of excellence, they'll be, full, uh, be uh, supported for the next 15 years. Your website where they can read the report? www.omformothert.org.za. Fantastic. Thank you. Tracy Webster, Chief Executive, Oppenheimer Memorial Trust. Kay Walsh, Managing Director, Nova Economics. Bailey Coder, Chief Operations Officer, Oppenheimer Memorial Trust. It's 11.01. It's time for the news.